It's our favorite time of the day. Welcome to Counter Stories, a program by people of color, for people of color, and everybody else. My name is Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any comments or opinions that I share are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner at Dendros Group. I'm Halili, owner of the other media group and Counter Stories producer. I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. Well, folks, we have been seeing back to school type of signs everywhere, right? Whether you are looking at um, any kind of publication, where you, whether you're looking on social media, and of course, with uh, families who are actually sending their children back to school, Uh, You just can't stop thinking about this. Uh, And there are so many issues that come up at this time of the year for any family, but in particular for BIPOC families, where we have unique needs and concerns related to how the system operates and incorporates um, their approach and how it impacts our children and our families disproportionately. So I know I have uh, family memories um, and lessons, if you will, that I have um, held on to. My children are are no longer minors, so they're not returning back uh, to classes this time around. However, there are some um, memories that I think would be helpful to share that I can think of a few in my mind with families to help them equip their children and themselves, quite honestly, as families going forward to navigate some issues proactively, particularly as we come out of um, this period of isolation. Uh, We are now about, what, almost three years into uh, COVID pandemic, probably two years and, um, what, six months, seven months. Um, so it, it, it is really growing I've lost here. count of, of years and months and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I know it feels <laughs> like a like blur. <laughs> it feels like a blur and it feels much longer, uh, I think, for, for many folks because of the different struggles and the positivity rates that, that continue to go up. Um, and I, I, we're seeing it in, in our immediate circles as well, that people are still testing positive and having to... Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. manage the, their health concerns and, and having some really bad bouts of COVID still yet uh, in August of 2022. So what comes up for you? I, I want to put this out first to my crew here, my colleagues, to see what comes up for you as I raise that. Uh, and then I'll, I'll definitely step in with, with my own thoughts. But what's coming up for you uh, as we, we enter this space together? You know, the the... I'm in the midst of back to school space. I have a, a 12 year old and an 11 year old, so I'm simultaneously going into middle school and elementary school, um, or the tail end of elementary school this year. And you know, especially as it pertains to sending my children to a system that repeatedly, as we've talked about in many an episode, does not one show them the representation of 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 themselves, uh, two continues to have to be in a constant fight for managing. Uh, bodies in a space rather than, you know, in my, in my opinion, um, you know, educating in the way that we would want them, want them to be in terms of a full story, a full history, full, you know, high expectations and all of those things. And then the fact that they are also going to be going to school to interact with other children who are not receiving not only the history, the knowledge, the, 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 the concepts, the content about themselves and having to navigate the, 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 socialization of of uh, to to be clear white parents um who have socialized their children either to not talk about it because it's uncomfortable um they are going to be encountering folks who get racial racist uh um, ideologies fed to them and then they come and bring those to school not to mention the racial bullying that also that that's so silent um and that even in the space of trying to make them out to seem like they're the bullies when they stand up for themselves so like all of these are coming full full tilt to me, especially for my daughter who's going into middle school. And we know what middle school is just generally, developmentally, period. And now we have to add in a layer for issues around how she'll be seen, how she'll be uh, uh, affirmed for her beauty, and all of these different things that we know are fodder for these racist mindsets. So 
those are some of the things that just got me in a ball of angst, even to the point of going, do I need to rethink <laughs> schooling versus homeschooling? Do I need to adjust my life to do something different? So these are just some of the thoughts, right? Right now they're going to school, but so these are the things that are in my mind. So Anthony, your concern about, is it heightened because the last year and a half or so students weren't really in the classroom that they're at home getting all the stuff that they maybe normally wouldn't get maybe mom and dad are watching the news during the day and they're picking up on things you know what I mean like are those the sorts of concerns that 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 are coming up for you it, it's not so much the fact that they've been out it's actually what's more more concerning now is people's ad ways of addressing our current racial kind of consciousness moment that's what I see most more problematic because what I'm finding is instead of instead of the deeper, hard, more in-depth discourse, what I'm actually finding is folks sugarcoating the surface um, surface platitudes. And so what I've saw in this, at least in this past year, was you know everybody wanting to do the right thing, stressed out for all these other reasons, but the ways that they were addressing it were so surface and so. I don't know, pedantic in some ways, that my kids were often coming home getting teed up for conversations that the kids around them weren't, weren't ready for, and it was our kids who were getting hurt by it. So those are some of the things that that are coming up to mind for me right now that I'm I'm nervous about in this in this new age group. There's one thing when they were in elementary. Now that they're going into middle and high school, that concern is growing for me. You know, the the things you point out. You know, our our youngest um, just left this morning, but our youngest is starting her junior year at the University of Iowa. So it's been a few years since since um, you know we've had to prepare and send her to public school. But Anthony, I can still identify with what you're saying because. Unfortunately, those same sentiments don't change once you leave elementary school, middle school, and high school. It continues on through higher education. Now, granted, I'm, uh, you know, my daughter and I had a had a had some time um, uh, last night. She came over to to pack some of the remaining stuff she had here into her car. And then, um, and we ate in front of the house because of COVID. Right. And, um, but we had some, some time to talk and, and, you know, I was able, you know, one of the two years ago when she left to go to Iowa, my fear of COVID was, was, I mean, you know, both of us, I, I told her, I said, two years ago, your mom and I were, you know, freaked out about you going to the University of Iowa because of COVID. I can't believe what parents just sending their kids to elementary because we were getting, you know, it was so new. We, we, we didn't have, well, there were mandates in, but they were all over the place. And there was a difference between how Iowa responded from how Minnesota, I mean, and so, we were scared to death. Now, two years later, you know, she's managed to navigate her way through that for two years, not get COVID. Um, <laughs> we were laughing because not only did she avoid COVID, what she did get was mononucleosis, right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> exactly. And so we were kind of laughing about that. But those other dynamics still exist in terms of the interaction and what I heard you describing, I think, is what is what happens when we have these aha moments. And I think people have this realization. Many individuals don't know how to have those deeper conversations. So they want to make change. I think they really mean it, but they really don't know really how to have those conversations, not only um, with other adults, but have those conversations with their kids. You know what I mean? And I and so I think there's a percentage of parents 
who are struggling with that. And then there are the other ones who don't care, right? You know, who who are going to socialize their children in a way that you mentioned. And then there are others who are just outright uh, biased and, and racist. And, and, and our children have to navigate that. And that doesn't change no matter what the setting is. So while my, while my anxiety was much lower as she was leaving to go this year, it's still there. You know, no different than when they were in middle school, grade school or high school. Well, you think about it, you know, in, in addition to what you said, Don, there are also, also cultural expectations and nuances uh, across BIPOC communities with regard to holding teachers accountable or other adults uh, within the school system accountable. I can speak for, for my culture as, as someone whose parents are from Mexico, where we are from the very start as children, our parents told us they would be very deferential to the teachers and they showed us that throughout, right? And so if they received a call uh, from a teacher with any type of concern, and to be clear, it was mostly uh, other siblings of mine, it wasn't me. <laughs> um, I just want to say, uh, just given the nature of, of how uh, I, I'm, I've uh, usually been really, really careful and, uh, you know, um, straight-laced, so to speak, in school. So when you have that dynamic in terms of that cultural disconnect, um, that can make it even worse, right? That parents can can be dismissive of what their children are telling them despite the truth behind that, right? And that as a result of that, our children are at a further disadvantage and it could lead, lead into some really deep-seated uh, insecurities and lack of self, self-esteem for our children as a result of that with the parents not knowing. So I'll give a really quick example. Um, and I've shared this example uh, a number of years ago. Uh, um, our one of our daughters, um, when she was in fifth grade, um, she I was tucking her into bed at night, and you know, in our family, our practice had been with our children: you first read a book with them at at time of bedtime, and then you interact some more, talk, and then you tuck them into bed, and you know, we shower them with love and and hugs and all that stuff, and we really just over the top, my my friends who were familiar with it and would see me in action would say, you guys are just, uh, you guys do a lot for your children at night that we don't do, basically. Um, so plenty of times to, to interact is what I'm getting to. So that particular day, one particular day, I was uh, finishing, tucking her in, giving her love, kiss, hugs, all of that, walking out uh, from her bedroom. And I had just approached leaving her bedroom uh, by way of crossing that threshold where the door is, and a very meek, almost inaudible whisper comes from her. And she she asked me, Mommy, am I dumb? Mm. And mm. I that just paralyzed me in my feet and it just stopped me in my in my tracks. Now this is a child who had been labeled and identified as a gifted child at age three by these, you know, the preschool testing stuff. You know, the the person took me aside and said, you know, I've been doing this for 26 years. This child's gifted. She's just off off the charts. Um, and she'd been uh, labeled and, and identified as gifted by the school district as well. Um, so for her to ask me that question, I knew, I suspected there was an issue. So I walked back to her bed, you know, and I gently asked her, I said, did, did I hear you? Did I hear the question right? What, what did you ask me? And then she she asked me again, Mommy, am I dumb? And I looked at her, I'm like, sweetie, no. Why? Where is this coming from? And at that point, she tells me that her uh, male, white male teacher had not included her in a gifted activity that particular day. And of course, me, you know, looking at my cultural upbringing, oh, sweetie, he must have just forgotten. That must have been an oversight that he forgot to include you today. 
And she said, well, yeah. And I said, well, who was in that group? And she proceeds to name all the kids, five other kids, all boys, none of them BIPOC. And I said, okay, well, what about last week? Did, was there a, a, a gifted pullout for last week? Yes. Were you included? She says, no. So I said, well, what about, and we're now in mid-October, I should clarify. We're a, a month and a half into the school year. I asked her, well, what about the week before that? Nope, wasn't included. Well, what about since the start of classes this school year? She said she had never been included, right? So if I had left that conversation to just say he forgot today, that would have not given me the full picture. It wasn't until I asked all these questions. Um, So... I then uh, say to her, uh, let, let me send him an email. And she gets really nervous, of course, and she suspects Mama Bear is going to come out. Uh, and um, so I, I go and I meet with him the next day, next afternoon. And I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. I take my daughter's uh, school file with, with me, which has all of her standardized testing scores. And I proceed to go and start from kindergarten, from when she enrolled in that school, look, you know, she uh, is ranked nationally 90, uh, 97th percentile and statewide 99th percentile. So he stops me, literally. He says, oh, no, no, I, I'm, I'm fully aware of your daughter's academic uh, and gifted status. I said, oh, you are. So help me understand then why she was not included in this gifted uh, activity yesterday or the weeks prior or since the start of the school year. If, if we've established that you knew from the start that she was a gifted child, why has she not been included? And he looked at me just in a very kind of nonchalant way, says, I forgot. <laughs> and I said to him, <laughs> you forgot? Kind of with a, a tone of disbelief. Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, I, I forgot. I said, but, but you knew from day one, right? He says, oh, yeah, yeah, I knew from day one. I said, okay. So let me remind you who was in this gifted activity. And I start to name the boys' names. And he says to me, look, I've been teaching for 26 years, over 26 years. And are you accusing me of being sexist? I've never been accused of being sexist, you know, because my daughter would be the only uh, child who was a girl left out. And I got real close to him. We were sitting in the classroom over a desk. And I said to him, you'd be damn lucky if I stopped there. (laughs) And I looked straight in the eye and I let just the power of silence take over. And he looked at me, he says, what are you talking about? I said, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. My daughter is the only girl who's identified as gifted in in your classroom. And you've admitted through your own words that you were aware of that, you excluded her. And... She happens to be a BIPOC child. And he got really quiet. I won't tell you, you know, all the details that followed. Suffice it to say that I, I, uh, he had put out an email asking parents to volunteer to teach their gifted math group. And I said, look, before switching to law, I was actually an engineer major in undergrad. I'm really strong in the maths. I have always been strong in, in the math field. Uh, so I am volunteering. Uh, And I gave him a choice. You can either have me be a volunteer in your room and I will uh, ensure that he and I would get to know each other really well and ensure that this never happens again. Or I can go talk to the uh, superintendent, uh, a choice. And as I was leaving his classroom, um, he said aloud to me, um, I'd like you to be a volunteer in my classroom. And can you start next week? (laughs) And I said, yes. I said, yes. That's right. So I'm going to put yeah. the work on you. Right. So well, you, there's, so you, that's a whole nother right, conversation, right? Do. But <laughs> my point being is that, you know, culturally speaking, I would have, you know, fallen into this this um, behavior and upbringing that I, I had where we were very differential to, to teachers and not question them, right? Um, and I also use that as an example because, I can't help but to think that some parents out there might not feel empowered to go have those conversations with uh, teachers and holding them accountable. But I, um, you know, in terms of 
your child's mental health, it is really critical to do that. We ended up actually having to take our child, our daughter to counseling after that because it really impacted her self-esteem. She kept doubting herself with different assignments, with different things. I mean, it. she had been carrying that weight, mind you, for a month and a half. You know, since the start of the, of the school year, she had been carrying that weight on her shoulders and not telling us as parents the entire time. And it wasn't until she whispered that question to me that we finally found out. So think about that as well, is that this child, you know, a young child who's in their formative years, trying to deal with the different things that are uh, unique to school in terms of learning, but then layering this, this racism on top of that, we can't have that for our children. So, you know, as part of that though, I, I would, yeah, I, I would say um, I have been, um, Hmong community members have asked me to help start a conversation with schools when they've had issues. And so I think that even if, like you were saying, Luz, like parents don't feel like they can do that. Like there are people out here who can help navigate that for you. And she came to me and I, I, you know, I don't have kids and I don't really do anything with schools, but she knew me as, as a person in community who's been helping do different things. And so she reached out and, and asked, you know, her daughter was being harassed and it was a he said, she said situation and the principal said nothing could be proved. So, you know, the boys were uh, never penalized for touching her because there was no proof. And, you know, so there are like resources too for, for parents who don't feel like they can go into the classrooms and task the teachers or principals themselves. But I think also, Luz, there's, I mean, you know, since your kids were in school, I think there's this whole different mentality with parents where parents believe their kids now more than their teachers. And I hear that from different, you know, just like listening to different news stories and reading different news articles. But also I have teachers in my family. And a lot of times it's like that they're immediately saying, my child is right. You must have said something wrong. You must have done something wrong. Um, our parents, right, our generation was like, if your teacher said you did something wrong, you did something wrong, I'm going to whoop you, you know. Um, but there is, I think, this like shift in mentality of like, you know, the helicopter parents type right now who are like, no matter what, you know, my kid must be right. My kid wouldn't lie to me. Well, see, but that's this this here. All the things that you're saying are on the point because we all, I think there's some pieces of this that are universal across all parents, but we as parents of color have another layer of things that kick in as a result of it. So you can imagine all of these things being true. And then I have to think about how you're, you're, you're connected to my son. I have to think about how my son is being believed or not believed in res in response to his white peers who seem to get to do all kinds of things that, that he doesn't get to do. Now, we we in this group are, are are talking from a space of privilege because we we we've we've got we've got tools <laughs> we've got stuff at our disposal that my mom didn't have when I was growing up I didn't have that level of advocates we built it over time right and we're not trying to shame us for any of our success or our hard work or nothing like that but I, I got to think about what I have to do when I have to step in to do this and it sucks and I'm thinking about it and I'm going through it. And then I have to imagine what happens with some of my friends who who don't have the time to step away. I can I can shut everything I'm doing in work down right now without worrying about livelihood to go and handle what needs to get handled in the school building. I've got friends who don't who who can't do that. I got friends whose vernaculars ain't the same as mine. I could turn on my code switch quick and cut through some of the BS in ways that some of my friends can't. Some of my friends who don't have the English skills that I've got. Some of the friends who don't have the code switching ability that I have. I know folks now who, who, who you know, the, the idea or the, the simple fact that I have access to be able to take a little thing and make it a big thing in front of a whole lot of people, I have that privilege now. I didn't have that before. And so, and, and there's other folks who don't necessarily have that, right? Um, and so these are some of the layers that I'm thinking of with my kids going into school. And we haven't even gotten to the fact that I keep sending my kids to school with our cultural learnings and they keep coming back home uh, without them. And I have to constantly worry about that piece of it too. Talk, talk about that. I mean, 
What do you mean by that? So, you know, my, my kids go, you, you just got to understand in my household, we have an unapologetic blackness for days, right? Sure, like, like sure, sure. We, we have this critical consciousness going in. What I'll find is that my kids will, come, will go into school space, and especially if we're interested into their peer groups, there are things that they will put up with that they know in our household and home community space, we would, no, no, we'd be stopping all the breaks and saying, no, what did you just say? What oh, did you just okay. do? But then they'll go to school with the peer groups or they'll go to school with, with teachers. And again, this is not me coming at teachers because teachers are, have all this stuff that they also have to deal with. They just may not have the time, ability, whatever. I'm not talking about causality there. I'm just saying that in terms of preserving what we have instilled in my children here, it's like we're in a battle of having to reinstill that day in and day out when they come back home from school because they're presented with some choices. I could either hold this stuff that we gear them up to do, which which could result in conflict which, uh, with their peers, their teachers, and all these things, or I can get along. And I will watch them get along. I watch their language and their vernacular change and have, they have to come back home and figure out a whole new way of being. And it's in, and sometimes it's just a matter of what's presented to them in school is much easier to co-opt in, in, instead. So what, you're, what you just described there, Anthony, I think we have touched on in other episodes of Counter Stories in terms of, as adults, how we have to navigate this world, right? I think I just mentioned, I just mentioned that, you know, there's on PBS, there's this new outdoor show that's hosted by a black artist. And, and, um, and I mentioned that, you know, two weeks ago, the episode was in the Boundary Waters. And he found the one brother who lives up in the Boundary Waters who's a birder. <laughs> but in that conversation, they talked what it would, what it meant to be black in those spaces. And, and even in wilderness, because when you're not in wilderness, you go to town or you, you, you go get supplies or whatever. You have to navigate what that happens. And what you just described is your children have those tools and yet have to navigate that in a way where it sounds like some of they're making they're making decisions on when when to engage and when not and for such young students to have to deal with that day in and day out can be overwhelming because it's sometimes overwhelming for us as adults mm-hmm. right i mean mm-hmm. and and the, the thing is, is, I know exactly, I mean, we all know exactly what you're talking about. But yet when we have these conversations with our outside, outside of these kind of spaces, we get that, we get that look, we get that deer in a headlight look, right? Because they're, they can't, they can't understand, they can't comprehend what we're talking about in terms of those dynamics. I mean, sometimes they make you feel like like you're trying to call them a racist just by you <laughs> pointing out their biases. There are things like, you know, that that people do just naturally do because that's how they're brought up and then when you try to say, you know, you can you recognize this bias? They get defensive. You call me a racist? You know, and then they get all, and then they're they're not learning what it is that we're trying to describe to them. They're not taking our lived experiences into consideration because there's so much on that defense already. Let, 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 let me give one one quagmire to that point, Lee, because like this is the, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm about to go here. Uh, I pray my daughter forgives me for this. Okay. So the defensiveness that comes in around folks because I have a real challenge with my daughter's current peer group. She's, she's, she's part of several different groups in community, right? Well, as we all are, right? She's got her cousin's group. There's the family group. There's the like hood, hood, like us group. And then there's a group of peers that she's rolling with at school. And I have a, I, I, I am not about to interfere with my daughter's peer group. She selected them. I'm going to support her through it at all. This is just my internal dad mechanicians because I see the peer group that is gravitating to her at school and they're mostly white and I have a deep concerns, this is just one of the many concerns, that she is becoming the token black friend mm. for which her white peers 
are are living vicariously through and mm. and 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 co-signing for and 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 my my issue isn't that she has white friends that's not my problem right my 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 challenge becomes i am constantly investigating whether or not she is being used uh, by her 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 white peer group to assuage their own sense of of needing to have a token white guilt or whatever that is to assuage, or that they may be living vicariously through that, and then therefore when she gets into the things that she's going to encounter as a young black girl, <laughs> that she's got a peer group surrounding her that will have no way to help her through it, and even more so, what they suggest for her to do will put her into further danger. Well, just imagine the emotional harm, the emotional, I mean, this is an emotional trap. If what you suspect, in fact, is true, the emotional harm, I mean, she she is thinking that it is an authentic relationship that she has with this group of of friends, quote unquote, of, of girls, right? Largely speaking, probably peers, maybe gender neutral. Um and that at some point, you know, that the truth may come out if, again, if in fact what your suspicions uh, are true, that would be devastating, right? Because she is working from one assumption and understanding that these are actual friends and then learn that you are being exploited uh, by the peers. And in fact, it is a unilateral uh, type of relationship. She's giving to them. But what? She, but she's not receiving just, the friendship about, in return. To, to, but it could also, uh, but it could also just be that it's her, all her friends happen to be white girls. No, 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 Lee, Lee I'm, I'm perfectly. I get that, right? Yeah. That doesn't change. <laughs> that doesn't take that anxiety out of your mind as a His parent, fear. because no. fear. I can right. absolutely see. Because I have been in the space where I have a group of white peers around me. We've built all the relate. We've done. We, we like our relationship is still real. And then when I encounter that that bit of of of, of microaggression, when I encounter that point where I have mm-hmm. to take a stand on something, or that so, mm-hmm. or, or that something unfair happens to me, I have been in the moment where all of a sudden my group of white peers are either oblivious to what's happening when they try and they're right. not backing my play or they leave me hanging because there's a choice between being accepted into dominant cultural space or standing with their black friend and not and, and, and letting go of that. And I have been the one by myself isolated when all those friends walk away because I'm threatening their acceptance by their dominant cultural space. Like so that's how a real you, thing. So ha- have you talked to her about it? Like I'd be oh. interested in and just knowing what that conversation is like, because I get your concern, right? I get your concern, but I get from her perspective, she's like, no, daddy, they're my friends. We all love each other. I mean, how are you navigating that conversation? Well, so so again, because we're talking about going back to school, right? We are now, nav- we're going to take them as bits. I'm going to deal with it as it comes to me. I'm not going to interfere with her peer group. I'm going to back her play and all of that. But I would definitely feel much better if she was going into a school system where there was an actual black staff and teachers who would also be watching out, who are connected to community, who could pull her aside mm-hmm. and go, "Hey, uh, let, let me give you, let me let me reinforce some of these tools that you have to wait till you get back home to get," and that causes some of the back to school anxiety. And I mean, I'm just talking about mm-hmm. one little aspect. <laughs> okay, let me just as an me, example. Let me compound that a little bit <laughs> because, yeah. I brought this up again. I brought this up in a previous episode. So, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about, Anthony, because I talked about this the fact that, you know, my daughter and where we live, you know, the, the school she ended up, the high school she ended up going to was, you know, predominantly white. And not that that's a bad thing. You know, they would go to they go to their uh, football games, but they would dress up in themes. I remember, remember that. I brought yeah. this up? They would dress that. up, yes, yes. <laughs> and they would dress up in themes. And so I would always check with my daughter because way too often we would see themes from s- white students in schools when they would play against black schools, and they would actually show up in blackface. So I was just my antenna was just up not just with the same things you're talking about because that's always that's always there in terms of whether or not her friends were 
you know, using her as that symbol because she's one of the few that attended the school. But I was also trying to battle about over this trying to fit in, which is what we all do when we're in high school, but mm-hmm. especially around these themes, because I was trying to point out to her that that creates biases. So, you know, because I remember having a conversation with her when they were dressing up to play Cretan Durham Hall. And so I asked her, I said, well, what, you know, what's the theme? They said, preppy. And I said, preppy? I said, how's that any different than where you go to school? (laughs) I said, what's the difference between where you're at and Cretan Durham Hall in terms of preppy? I mean, but it was this. So it was an additional layer of, of, I think, social consciousness that mm-hmm. that you have to throw on even on top, you know, the, the whole socialization process that adolescents go through during that time is so instrumental in the development of their growth. Um, and as parents, you know, you're so right because we've had so many years of experience and I much was like you, Anthony, where, where I had the kind of position, even though I was commissioner, right? Commissioner of the Mille Lacs Band, and worked in Mille Lacs, I still had the luxury of being able to leave to address issues with my son at Capitol Hill, the gifted and talented program, right? Um, and so, and, and those cultural differences, as you mentioned earlier, in terms of what our children experience in those classrooms, in those hallways, and the, and the difference that white boys are given in those same situations, those same circumstances. And we, and as parents, we have to deal with that because it existed when I went to school. It existed when my son went to school and my daughter went to school. And I'm pretty damn sure it continues to exist now that there's difference given to young white males above anyone else in this, in this hierarchy that you know that that we have in schools. I don't think it's just in schools that there is that. It begins there. It begins there. It begins there. It's totally different conversation. (laughs) Yeah, that that is another whole discussion. But I'm just saying, you know, culturally, um, those are realities that that parents of color have to try to prepare their kids for just to return back to school. Let alone, you know, let alone I was hearing that today, you know, I think state of Minnesota put that money out for um for first line workers who, you know, had to work um during the pandemic, during the early first year of the pandemic when we didn't know anything about it and people were dying left and right. Individuals still had to go to work. Well there were about, I think from what the news report I saw, there were about 94, 95,000 people who were rejected when they applied, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and I'm just pointing that out because there are families who are still struggling, right? We, we you know, yes, gas prices are coming down, but $3.99 is still a buck and a quarter higher than what it was prior to gas prices taking up because they were in the $2 range, Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, food prices, gas, all that stuff is impacting families. And, and uh, you know, and, and so many are struggling to keep up with rent. When do I buy groceries? How much food can I buy? Let alone buying clothes and school supplies for the children. And we still have a situation where teachers are mm-hmm. giving up right. their own money. Creating GoFundMe accounts mm-hmm. just to buy school supplies exactly classrooms yeah so here's a question though don as you say um how do we prepare our children you know and and ourselves i think that's really the question of the day right now right is how do we equip our children to navigate those uh difficult moments and how do we equip ourselves um in terms of parents and each other quite honestly uh, to your point earlier Parents who may not feel that they um, have that voice or maybe even the time, Don, as you said, you know, they're they're implicit in your statement 
there are plenty of parents who can't take time off of their jobs. Yes. You know, they're, yes. they're working in yes. very structured settings that don't permit them to leave and have these in-person visits with uh, school administrators and, and, and support staff and teachers alike. So what is, I mean, what or there's is... A, or there's the language. There's a barrier. language, yeah, absolutely. Even if they could get down to the school, they can't speak the language. That's right. So, I mean, yeah. I the one piece that comes to mind, uh, because this is what we've said to our daughters the whole time, so I'll start it off with answering the question, but I, I really want to hear each of your responses, is we've said, always trust your gut. You know, there's a, there's a quote there that says, always trust your gut. It knows what your head hasn't figured out yet. And children in particular, younger children, they have such a sense of justice of what's right and wrong. Um, that when these uh, concerns are being raised by our children, uh, then we should come to it, I should say, I would suggest to come to it from a place of curiosity. For our children, we would just ask a lot of questions to get us to the space that, um, you know, would give us enough information to make our own decision as to what we, if we needed to do anything in response and what would that look like. So what 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 comes up for you folks when, I asked that question. So there, there's one thing that we do, and it's a practice that I th- that my my wife wife started, and, and I think it's 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 absolutely beautiful, and that is, um, uh, no terms are off limits. So we 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 no terms, no terminology. We use the real terminology if we're talking about in terms of protecting them against you know uh, 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 sexual assault or anything like that. Against you know in terms of if a question comes in here, we answering it fully. We're having that conversation. We're not going to shy away. We're not going to do the protectionism that we may have been grown up with and I grew up with and was taught. Um, you know, I'm I'm not going to. You know, I'm not going to push them into a, a, a deep existential conversation that they're not necessarily ready for, but they have to te- they have to show me that they're not mm-hmm. ready for it. Not I don't have to, it's not just a, a mechanism in my mind. And so in that way, there's this open table that we're that we try to m- mediate ourselves for, right? Because if I'm not, I don't want to put my anxiety on them. At the same time, one of the things that we also do is help them to explore and embrace what we like to call weirdness. Right. So so if 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 there is something that's that that is that is uh, not normed, right, is outside of the norm for our kids and they come home with it, we're going to embrace it. We're going to figure it out. We're also going to say that's not my thing. Right. But that's your thing. And I, and I want to support you in that to keep that open door going, because I know that they're already being pigeonholed by their peers, by other folks, it, consciously or unconsciously when they walk into that building. So that's one of the things that we do. The second thing that I have, I'm, I'm, I'm just loving right now is that I have a, we, you can have a reticence about equipping your child to be so culturally rooted that the school is not going to understand them, right? Or they're never going to see it. And sometimes we may want to back off and, and say, all right, we're going to try to, you know, do as the Joneses do or whatever. Yeah, we, 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 we don't do that. <laughs> when you go, uh, I want to hear my son come home and say, I challenge the teacher because they tried to tell me about Abraham Lincoln and they left out all this other stuff that you told me. Like, I want my kids to be confounding to their teachers. All right. I want them to walk in there loaded for bear, so to speak, and and have to and have to struggle with that. And it, you, it, for a minute, we were like, I don't want to put a big target on them. But what I'm finding is as my kids are doing that and pushing that, they're starting to they're starting to pick up on things that they wouldn't have picked up or they would have been caught flat-footed on uh, if if they didn't have this 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 arm armory and i and and they're actually engaging in it in a way that is turning out to be really beautiful i was scared to do it because i thought i was putting a target on their back and now i'm seeing that the returns are starting to come in so that is actually one thing that's giving me some some hope but it's, again it's equipping them to do that. And they have come at their teachers in some ways that weren't respectful. They've come at their teachers in ways that, that, um, violated some of their teachers' sensibilities. Um, and, and, and we're going to strategize for ways to do it differently next time. But you best know that fist bump is going to get, going to meet them at the door as soon as we get home to affirm, yep, you was in the right vein. Here's some different strategies I'm going to give you to do that next time, just so that the system doesn't try to flip it around on you, even though you were right. Anthony, that 
you know, I know people can't see us, but, you know, we record these on Zoom. And as you're talking, I'm just sitting here grinning. I, it just, it amazes me when I listen to you. And what, what I, I think what amuses me, because I'm sitting here thinking, oh, my God, it's the exact same thing that I did. You know, I, it, maybe not for the same reasons so that, well, no, it was. I wanted to ensure that my son and my daughter both knew what they were, where they came from, and and prepare them for what they weren't going to learn in school. <laughs> and, you know, but I have to admit, it wasn't so much that they would, that I was expecting them to challenge the, the, the uh, teacher. Um, and I even had to smile about that because I was one of those, I'm sure at the time considered a problem, a problem student because I challenged teachers. Um, but I wasn't really preparing them to challenge to be assured that there was more than what they were getting in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So it just tickled me because I'm sitting here thinking, oh, my God, I did the same thing. And and would sit them down and cover who they were as a black person, who they were as a Native American person. And they had their mother who's white. And so, you know, they were getting that already in school. But I wanted to make sure that they had those other two parts also. And I can, I have to admit, <laughs> uh, my daughter mentioned to me one time that there was a discussion. And because of something she heard me talking, either, you know, either in counter stories or with someone else, right? She had heard me in this conversation. She brought, <laughs> she said she did bring that up because she knew what they were saying was incorrect. Well, not incorrect. But not the whole story, and and uh and it, I remember just smiling at her, thinking, "Oh my God, she does listen," because she doesn't always respond. <laughs> kids are kids, right? <laughs> and sometimes we can talk to our children and they'll look at us, you know, and and you think, you know, is this getting through? And then something like that happens, and it is, it does get through, and and uh, so I'll never forget that. Don, you and Anthony both use the word challenge. Uh, in terms of empowering your uh, children to challenge, and and I agree with that, and and I want to take it one step further. What I see that is really equipping your our children, your children that you did that, and, and we've done that in our home as well. Equipping them, empowering them to own their voice and to ask the questions. I mean, children are naturally inquisitive. If you spend any time with the child. All the, particularly a young child, they have a lot of questions. They're always questioning everything they see. Why this, that, how, what, you know? And as they get older, society begins to clamp down on that, right? They, they start silencing them and quashing that curiosity, quashing that level of um, wanting to learn more and wanting to make sense of the world. So what I see and I hear both of you saying is, you reinforcing that those analytical skills that children automatically have by asking these questions and wanting to learn. And in the process, certainly some of those situations that present themselves may in fact be, quote unquote, a challenge to a, um, an authority of some sort, you know, that is, is being shared at school. But imagine, though, as a result of all of us empowering and equipping our children with keeping that light and, and owning your voice and owning your analytical skills, how much stronger they will be and are as adults. I, I think about how helpful that is in their adult space, whether in the workplace, right, or in their academic studies or in their relationships. Is being analytical is such a a strong aspect of your performance as an adult to be able to learn and question and grow professionally and personally, right? And to make sure that this, this dimming of the light, this quashing of this curiosity that happens early on by the system and whatever system you want to say, the school system, our societal expectations and norms that, that come on and are reinforced in different ways, the workplace, that we 
ensure that our children have that power innately reinforced from a very young age, I think just serves wonders and wonders of um, strengths for years and years and decades to come. You know, Luce, what you just said, what you just said made me think of, um, made me think of something else that I, did, I hadn't realized that we were doing. We, we, we are chronic introducers of our children to their community members, right? So my kids know all of y'all, <laughs> right? And they know at any given time they can go to any of y'all. If they see you in public and they're encountering any issue, they're going to come and grab you and they're going to they gonna bring you in. They also know about you and what you do. Right. So they can have those those personal pieces. But I just realized that we were actually doing this this past year with the teachers as well. We, we were mining the school for teachers who we knew would back their play. And when I say back their play, I mean back their play in terms of how we are enriching them with the deep love of their heritage or culture, their identity, their, all these different things. And we, we made sure that they knew us. Right. And our kids knew that they knew us. And this this. Uh, this for us has ensured a network. And then, and then of course, the other parents, right? Because we're not in this by ourselves. We're thinking about all these things for, for our own kids, nieces, nephews, and all of that. But, but, but so are so many other parents. And so being able to connect um, with them. The, the, the other piece is, and this is the in answer to what we were talking about for my daughter, I am slowly, and, and whether it's right or wrong, somebody can check me on it. I'm, I'm, my mama loves me. I'm here to receive wisdom and learning. But I am, I am secretly trying to, not secretly, not even at all secretly, very overtly <laughs> trying to help my kids uh, con- uh, work with their own peer groups to to say to 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 bring up uh, issues that aren't brought up in school to 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 talk about the fact that there's other information to stuff. Uh, my kid, one of my kids was came home with an assignment to talk about, uh, or this is one of my nieces was sent home from a gifted and talented school, which I won't name, um, with an assignment to talk about what life was like for kids in the '60s. And so my niece said, oh, okay, let me tell you what it was like to be for, as a black child in the 60s. And the teacher sent the assignment back and said, yeah, well, um, I want you to redo this and talk about more of the positive aspects. Um, and not to say that there weren't positive aspects, but they had a valid and compelling... And I read the report. Mm-hmm. Their writing was per- was impeccable. Their arguments were, 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 were right on. And it was just a perspective that folks were made... Un- her teacher was made uncomfortable by. But because there were other parents, other connections that were already at the table, uh, when we when we sent that back with multiple signatures on the assignment from educator friends, from community member friends going, there's nothing wrong with this assignment. You will grade it accordingly. And we sent it right back in there. The look on her face walking in <laughs> with this assignment signed by all of these community members and stuff like that going, I don't have to redo nothing. Take this and put this back on your pile empowered her in a way that got her a little bit of trouble, got a little bit of a target, that the teacher, that teacher very clearly did not like her the same way after that mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the the moment, she began to go to class with the, her shoulders would pop up. I remember being in the hallway and watching her walk into the class and, and, and get to the class and like smile to herself like, yep, and walk in. It's the kind of head up, chest out, posture that I want my kids to walk to school with. And I have to constantly battle because oftentimes they'll go to school that way and come home with the slouch. And so it, 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 it's another way of helping to make those connections for them so they have more tools with that at their disposal. And how, and how do we make that a teachable moment for that teacher? Mm. Right? I mean, and now I'm speaking with that educator hat on because I think you know, because, you know, for eight years I taught in, in higher education. And that was probably one of the things that I had to check at the door when I stepped into the classroom. Because it's an ongoing process to to check your perspective. Mm. And, um, you know, and so that so that my perspective wasn't overpowering other perspectives that were coming from the students. And and so even though I could say my perspective was from the profession of social work, which is what we were teaching, right? But there are also different types of things. And and so for me, it was 
for me in that story, Anthony, because I can relate to it professionally, <laughs> is how how do we make that a teachable moment for that student or for that teacher so that you know the very I think uh, the ve- the tension that existed for your daughter and that teacher no longer exists because to me your daughter was already there the person who needed to learn was that teacher and so and and so you know for me there are so many there there are times that those opportunities are missed right for the education of that teacher in in a moment like that cuz i can imagine you know having grown up in the 60s there were a lot of good times right but a lot of people were assassinated and as a person of color life wasn't you know you know life wasn't all that great for us back in the 50s and the <laughs> 60s there's no if ands buts about it and if i was to submit a paper like that my paper probably would have been right just like your you know same thing cuz cuz i lived on that side so i wow. tried to like i tried to and maybe this was my like trying to fit in but I tried to not, I would just write that article from like a white perspective, or I would write that assignment from like a white person's perspective, because I was so tired of being called on as the Asian person in class. <laughs> right? So it was like, hey, um, Hui, you're a person of color. What was that? You know, what would it be like if you did this? Or, you know, what do Hmong people do with this? And I'm just, I'm, always, I'm so over it at this point that I'm like, I'm not going to teach you. Okay, I know who I am. I know what the F I'm doing. And I'm not here to teach you how to treat students of color. And honestly, I just, just, I was like, F it. I just did what they wanted to see and do so that I could get past that class and move on. Cause I was, I was, I'm as, I'm as tired as I am. I'm still the same amount of tired of trying to teach people (laughs) now, (laughs) like I was in high school. Okay. You guys, like it hasn't changed. I mean, that's just a huge emotional burden, right? I mean, that's mm. that's what we're all getting to is the emotional burden that is compounded on top of all the other stressors that our children have to navigate, that our parents have to navigate, that community members have to navigate because we are BIPOC and for no other reason, mm-hmm. right? Um, Anthony, what, what, what struck me when you were talking about um, your example here is the erasure of lived experiences, which is pretty much what this whole attack on critical race theory is, right? Is this collective erasure of experiences, right? And <clears throat> excuse me. And when when that approach um, is pursued, then folks like us who are BIPOC, we're destroyed emotionally. I mean, we we have it, it, it's it's in as much telling us that. Your lived experiences don't exist, they don't matter, and they're not part of what needs to be a part of conversations going forward. And that is so destructive to one's self-esteem, self-identity. You know, how do you begin to hold on to your self-identity when you are being told by an authority figure, such as a teacher, that they have to rewrite that paper because it doesn't, it's not nice. You know, it, it's not positive the way they wanted it to. Right. Um, so I, I, I think we're, we're coming to a close here and, and just saying that there is a lot here for, for families to have to navigate. And we hope that the wisdom uh, that we've shared helps I would invite our listeners to jump on our Counter Stories Facebook page. And we're also on Instagram, I should say. Uh, so you can also uh, add more kernels of wisdom because we all learn from each other. Right. I, I don't I'm a big subscriber that uh, what I know is is only a fraction of what's out there and that I can learn from any and all of uh, all of us, uh, you know, big example here today in our discussion, learning, you know, through the comments that have been shared by by uh, the Counter Stories crew. Uh, and also, I also want to encourage folks to give each other grace. This is a very stressful time for many reasons, as Don has noted, economically and financially and emotionally, as we've said as well, um, to be able then to make sure that we've got that um 
safe space among ourselves and create that safe space for each other and be there for each other. Um, and we're going to be doing this uh, as a series, quite honestly. We should. Uh, we are encouraging you to stay tuned. We will have a, a multiple segment series dedicated to education and the challenges that BIPOC families in particular face as students, uh, as family members, as um, members of community. But we also want to talk to some administrators, folks who are working within the system and former administrators who are no longer there, but can share some real truths about the systemic barriers that they uh, witnessed and uh, can, can inspire others to do the same uh, type of changes they engaged in to dismantle those systemic barriers. So with that, um, I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General, State of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions I've shared are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner at Dendros Group. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group and Counter Stories producer. And I'm Don Eubanks, associate at Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Banner with Jibway Andrews. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the Other Media Group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com.